For today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. If you're reading from the Pew Bible, it is on page 869. Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And I invite you to stand with me as we read God's word. And as we read today's passage, it's going to be familiar to you, um, and I encourage you to read it with a fresh mind, with fresh eyes, um, and not having the, you know, the, the same teachings that you have and heard of, um, but um, ask the, really ask the Spirit to uh, open your eyes um, to this passage, even as you read it now. So Luke chapter 10, verses 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us once more. Heavenly Father, as the word has just been read, and now it is to be preached, we do pray for your help. We ask for your spirit to come now to accompany the preaching of your word, that hearts might be changed, that hearts might be convicted, that hearts might be comforted, that you would do your ministry that only you can accomplish. Do it by the Spirit and the Word, and do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we are back in the Gospel of Luke, and we are looking at yet another meal with Jesus. We have mentioned before how the, the book of Luke centers so much of its narrative around meals with Jesus that you could say that these meals really function as a plot device, as a means of character development. Because over a meal, we end up learning a lot about Jesus and about those that he's interacting with. Well, friends, this morning we are introduced to two new characters, to two sisters Martha and Mary. They're hosting Jesus. They are preparing a feast for him and for all of his disciples. And there is a very good intent here to practice hospitality. But as we're going to see, a beautiful act of service can sour quickly. What begins as something all about Jesus, all about serving other people, can turn directions on a dime and become all about you. That's what happened to Martha in this story. And really could happen to any of us. We can easily find ourselves so busy serving Christ while losing sight of Christ himself. Now, I know I've been there. I've been serving in ministry for 20 years now. And over the course of that time, I've definitely gone through seasons where I am dutifully serving the Lord, I'm actively engaged, and I'm committed to ministry, but I realize that I've lost sight of Christ in the process. 
I'm more focused on how I'm serving, serving rather than whom I'm serving. That means I am more focused on the quality of my ministry instead of the object of my ministry. And friends, whenever that happens, that shifts my focus away from others towards myself and my needs and my preferences or, or my disappointments when others don't meet my expectations. So instead of serving out of faith and love, I'm doing it out of resentment and self-pity. And friends, that is not a healthy place to be. But sadly, that is a rather common place to be for those who are active and involved in Christian service. You can be so busy serving for Jesus that you're distracted from Jesus. Maybe Maybe some of you can, can relate to that very reality, or, or at least you can see yourself potentially moving in that unhealthy direction if you're not careful. Well, thankfully, thankfully this morning's text does address this problem. But there's a point of clarity that we need to make up front before we go into the text, because I, I really do think that the story of Martha and Mary is often read as a rebuke of those who are always busy serving in ministry. And the application often is that we just need to cut back on ministry. We just need to, to do less, serve less, so that we can pray more and study more. And so what ends up happening is that the devotional life is elevated and is often presented as superior to the active life. But I don't think that's that's the point. I think that's presenting a, a false dichotomy here. Devotional study and practical service are both important aspects of the Christian life. But the thing is, is that one is foundational to the other. And that's the lesson that Martha had to learn. You see, Jesus wasn't condemning all of her serving. He wasn't condemning her attempt to show hospitality, but he was greatly concerned that in all the busyness of her serving, as beautiful as her serving was in itself, it was being done at the expense of sitting under God's word. And that's the problem. Being with Jesus and listening to the words of Jesus is foundational to serving him. You can't continue doing one without the other. And so it's the foundational ministry, the foundational priority of sitting under God's word. That's the point of this story. So friends, as we walk through this meal with Jesus, I, I want us to examine our hearts because, you know, our, our hands are important. They're necessary when it comes to service, but our hearts Really, our heart attitude is what is foundational. So what I want to do this morning is show you three things about our hearts. If you want to follow along, look in your out, uh, bulletin. There's an outline there. I'm going to first show you the beauty of a hospitable heart. Second, the souring of a distracted heart. And third, the priority of a devoted heart. So let's start by considering the beauty of a hospitable heart. And I want to do this because I, I think that many times this story is taught in such a way that Martha comes across looking pretty bad. And she's often treated like the foil in this story set up in order to make Mary look good. And so 
I want to address that because I, I don't think that's Luke's intent. I don't think that's what he's trying to do in, in characterizing Martha. So what I want to do is begin by highlighting the beautiful, hospitable hearts of both Martha and Mary. Now, these are the two sisters whose brother was Lazarus. He, Lazarus, he was the one who was raised from the dead by Jesus later on in, in John chapter 11. Uh, there in John 11, we learned that they live in the village of Bethany, which is located about two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. And so our story begins with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And before he gets there, he stops by the village of Bethany. So let me read verse 38 again for us. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, that phrase, on their way, harkens back to an earlier part of Luke's gospel, to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. There, it, it, uh, it, it is really a turning point in the, the narrative of Luke's gospel, where Jesus shifts his attention. He focuses now his attention away from the region of Galilee and onto the city of Jerusalem. So Luke 9 verse 51 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's the turning point in the story. In other words, Jesus realizes that his time on earth is running short. The days when he will be arrested and tried and taken up onto a cross are now drawing near. And commentators suggest that those events are about six months out from our story. So in light of Jesus' impending death, it makes Martha's willingness to open up her home to him, to welcome him all the more lovely of a gesture. She is showing Jesus some extraordinary hospitality. Now, just think about how much effort this would have involved. Hosting Jesus was no small matter. Because by this point, he was already becoming well-known as this great teacher, as this worker of signs and wonders. We, we know by now that crowds are following him and his disciples wherever they go. We just looked at a passage last week where he ministered to a crowd of 5,000 men, and, and that figure didn't even include all the women and children present. So there were large, massive crowds following along Jesus. He was well known, and so welcoming him into your house, it's not like just having a, a good friend over and, and quickly whipping up a meal or, or, or just you know, you know, you know, getting some takeout. It's, it's not a simple affair. This is more like having a special guest of honor into your home who's also bringing along 12 of his closest associates. So just think back for yourself. Think back to the last time that you had to entertain in your home a special guest. Maybe you invited your boss to come over for dinner. Or, or, or maybe think about the, the first time that you had your in-laws into your house and, and you are hosting them for dinner. In those occasions, you know that, that you have to make some effort. And, and you just think about all that went into that, all, all, all of the cleaning, all of the purchasing, all of the chopping and the cooking and the baking and, and the entertaining, and of course, all the washing up when everything is done. It is a lot of work. 
And so what Mary, I mean, what Martha is trying to do for Jesus is a good thing. It is a beautiful thing. She is stewarding her gifts. She is trying to live out 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 to 10, where it says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So Martha has been gifted with the gift of hospitality, and she is trying to be a good steward of it. She's trying to use it to honor Jesus. Her heart is in the right place. When it comes to serving Jesus, he does deserve our wholehearted effort, not, not half-hearted effort. So we, we, we should be going, going all out. We should be holding nothing back and serving him because that does truly honor him. And that's Martha. That's her heart. Her generous hospitality probably explains why Jesus visited her home more than once, as recorded in the other gospel accounts. He loved going to her house because she, she would always prepare a, a, a great meal and be such a good host. So that's Martha. Now let's consider Mary. Mary has a way of welcoming Jesus that's a bit different than her sister but it's equally beautiful. Mary's welcome had less to do with what she could do for Jesus and more about what Jesus could really do for her. She welcomed Jesus by welcoming his words, treating his words as the words of eternal life. Listen to verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, in those days, you have to understand that sitting at a rabbi's feet was a posture of a formal disciple. Paul recounts later on in Acts chapter 22 how he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, a famous rabbi. So here is Mary sitting at Jesus' feet like a disciple, listening and learning, taking on that role, the role of disciple. That posture of sitting at a teacher's feet implies not just your full attention, but really your full submission. It conveys a willingness to listen and to obey your teacher. So it's important, friends, to understand how how highly unusual it would have been for a rabbi in those days to have accepted a female disciple. It was highly unconventional. Had Mary just been a part of the crowds following Jesus? Well, that that, that wouldn't have raised an eyebrow. Had she joined the group of women who had followed and ministered to Jesus and his associates? That would have been considered acceptable. Choosing the role of host in this situation would have been expected, but for Mary to choose the role of disciple, to sit down and to learn alongside other men, and, and that was to That was to break social norms. Some some rabbis, they would have permitted a woman to study the Torah, but, but not to receive formal instruction as a disciple. And yet here is Jesus encouraging such behavior. He's not afraid to confront any cultural norm that conflicts with God's created order. In the passage right prior to our text, 
He told the parable of the Good Samaritan. There, in that parable, he was pushing cultural boundaries. He was calling Jews and Samaritans to start treating each other as neighbors. So he's more than willing to push up against those norms. So is it really surprising that Jesus would gladly receive a female disciple? Church, I think we need to really take stock of this and to imitate our Lord and be willing to push back against any cultural boundaries or stereotypes that conflict with God's created order. I think sadly, churches can still perpetuate this stereotype that a woman's role in the church is limited to ministries of helps or hospitality, while the men of the church are the ones who are called to study theology and and to teach the word. But Mary's decision to sit at Jesus' feet and, and his affirmation of the goodness of her choice should be enough to convince anyone to abandon that stereotype and to encourage men and women to learn theology, to be students of the Word. Now, that's what makes me so proud of our church's women's ministry and the kind of events that they put on and promote. You know, most of those events are centered on training women to study and teach Scripture and to develop their own theology. That's what happens every summer when they put on that intensive Bible study. And, and even other conferences that they promote and that they attend, for example, uh, they're going to be encouraging sisters to attend a local equipping conference this coming spring. Next February, here in Houston, there's going to be this conference, and it's, it's, it features a, a solid lineup of speakers and workshop teachers, all aimed at equipping women to study God's Word, to teach God's Word. So like our Lord, we want to encourage and equip the women of our church to be students, teachers, and mentors who are proficient in rightly handling the word. We want the women of our church to emulate both Martha and Mary, to have hospitable hearts that welcome Jesus through either practical acts of service or personal study of Scripture and theology. And really, we want to see you do both, because that's a beautiful thing. So like I said, I wanted to start off by affirming Martha in this story, because I, I know Mary gets a lot of attention, but Martha, I want to affirm her, and I really want to affirm any of us, whether you're a man or a woman, who more closely identifies with Martha. Her instinct to welcome Jesus through practical acts of service was not wrong or misguided, but the attitude she began to develop, well, that was problematic. And this is really an all-too-common problem for those of us who, like Martha, are wired to be hard workers, who are usually the ones that are serving in the church, who are usually the ones who are actively involved in ministry, The problem is that our service can be conducted in such a way that it turns our hospitable hearts sour. And so this is our second consideration. The souring of a distracted heart. So let's go back and read verse 40. Verse 40, But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now notice how it says that Martha was distracted. Now that word there in the original conveys the idea of being pulled or, or drawn away from one thing to another. And so it suggests that Martha was trying, just like her sister, to listen to Jesus' teaching. That's what she wanted to do, but she was distracted. She was drawn and pulled away with much serving. That word for serving could also be translated as ministry. And so, in other words, she was distracted from Jesus with much ministry. How many of us can relate to that? Martha allowed serving Christ to distract her from enjoying Christ. She was doing so much for Jesus that she lost sight of Jesus. She got so distracted that she now focused more on the quality of her service than on the one she was meant to serve. And that so easily happens to all of us, doesn't it? We get so involved in ministry, we get involved in ministry really with the best of intentions. We start serving, whether it's on, on, on the worship team or you're, you're, you become a, a small group leader or maybe you begin to serve in, in either the, the children's or the youth ministries or, or, or maybe you're, you're appointed to, to serve as, as a deacon or an elder or, or you're called to serve in full-time ministry in some way, shape, or form. And soon enough, soon enough, Serving Christ becomes a distraction from enjoying Christ. We get so busy with ministry, we get so busy doing things for Jesus that we lose sight of Jesus. We no longer prioritize reading his word or listening to his word being preached. Being a student of scripture ends up taking a back seat because we are just so busy serving. The danger of this kind of distraction in ministry is that it often results in a souring of our attitude towards ministry. When we lose sight of Christ in our serving, our attention goes from focusing on Christ and others, and it begins to focus inward, and it gives way to self-pity and resentment, especially when we start feeling overlooked and underappreciated. And you can hear that kind of self-pity and resentment in Martha's own words in verse 40. She was frustrated with her sister for not helping. She has left me to serve alone. And she was frustrated at Jesus for not correcting Mary. Do you not care? When you get distracted from the person you're serving and your focus is now fixed on, on the how and the how much that you're doing compared to other people, then it is so easy to start feeling sorry for yourself. You are doing so much more than others. They're not carrying their weight. Friends, if you keep dwelling on that, you will completely lose sight of Christ, and you're just going to be fixated on what you're not getting. And that's how you grow resentful towards others, especially towards those in the church, towards other people in your ministry. Why don't they share the same priorities as me? Why aren't more people volunteering in my area of ministry? Why aren't they supporting all of these important causes? It's easy to get frustrated and resentful that not enough attention or priority is given to the ministries that you care about. Friends, I, I, if, if you can relate to that, if you can relate to some of these feelings, could it be 
that you have been distracted by all the busyness of serving? Could it be that you have begun to neglect God's word in your life? I, I, know, I know at first, you know, it doesn't seem to make much of a difference if you spend just a little less time reading the Bible or just a little less time communing with the Lord in prayer or regularly sitting under the teaching or preaching of his word. I mean, you, I know you're telling yourself, come on, what difference does it make if I'm still using that time for God? I'm still using it to serve God. I, I'm, if, if I'm busy, at least I'm busy doing ministry. At least I'm not wasting my time, you know, on worldly pursuits and mindless entertainment. But the more distracted and disconnected that you are from an abiding relationship with Christ, the sooner resentment and self-pity is going to creep into your heart, and you're going to find it so much easier to complain to complain about church, complain about ministry, to find fault in other people for what they're doing or especially for what they're not doing that you think they should be doing. Friends, in the busyness of ministry, be careful not to crowd out the ministry of the word. That, I think, is Jesus' warning to Martha. She wanted to listen to Jesus just like her sister Mary, but she was distracted with much ministry. And again, the problem is not ministry in itself. The solution is not to stop serving others and to just focus on private study and devotion from now on. It's not about choosing one over the other. Again, the devotional life and the active life are both important, but one is foundational to the other. Serving others in the name of Christ is good. It is pleasing to the Lord, but listening to Jesus and worshiping him is foundational, and it has to take priority. Enjoying Christ is foundational to serving Christ. It's, it's like how the roots of a tree are foundational to all of the branches and all of its fruits. The roots and the fruits are both important. I think you would agree. A healthy tree needs both things. But there's a clear priority. There is a priority here. Tending to all of the fruits of a tree to the neglect of the roots of that tree is just a recipe for a disaster. In short order, the roots are going to grow unhealthy and all of the fruits are going to sour. So enjoying your relationship with Christ, tending to his word, sitting under his word with full attention and full submission is like you tending to the roots of your faith. Neglect to do so because you're just so busy picking all of the fruit of ministry is setting yourself up for failure down the road. Be careful, my friends, not to get so busy with ministry that you end up crowding out the ministry of God's Word in your life. This is why the priority of Word ministry of regularly sitting under the teaching and preaching of Scripture, this is why that is so valued here at our church and why we encourage the young adults in our congregation to occasionally serve in things like the church nursery 
so that parents of little ones can be able to sit under the preaching of God's word on a more regular basis without distraction. And we especially encourage all of you young people to offer this beautiful act of service, especially for our Chinese side parents, so that they can regularly attend their worship service, which happens after this one, while English side volunteers are caring for their kids, either serving in the nursery or in the kids' ministry or the youth ministry. Now, of course, we don't want you serving families to the neglect of your own experience of corporate worship. And so if, if it completely takes you away from being able to worship together with your brothers and sisters in this service, well, then that's not good. That would be an unhealthy distraction, just like with Martha. But what I, I'm trying to do here, I hope you see, is I'm trying to offer you yet another good reason to serve the families on the Chinese side of our church. You're not just loving on their kids. You see, the reason you do so is not just because you're helping the kids grow in Christ. By serving in that way, you are enabling those parents to prioritize the ministry of the Word. So you are actually helping to facilitate their growth in Christ. Not just their kids, but the parents themselves. And so overall, that's going to contribute to healthier families in our church. That is a good reason to be serving. And that is the beauty of a multicultural, multi-generational church like ours. We have this unique opportunity to serve each other in this way. Now, this clear priority of word ministry, my friends, leads us to our third and final consideration, the priority of a devoted heart. The priority of a devoted heart. Now, in verse 40, Martha has a distracted heart. We see that she's only giving half-hearted attention to Christ, and Jesus explains it's because she's trying to juggle too many priorities. Martha is anxious, and she's troubled because she thought a lot of things were necessary, especially her efforts to prepare a feast for Jesus. But listen to verses 41 to 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Again, Jesus wasn't condemning Martha's efforts to prepare a feast for him. And in fact, the way that he says her name twice, uh, grammatically that's called a double vocative, saying the person's name twice is no small detail. It actually conveys a tenderness in that response. Jesus recognizes that she's distressed. She's anxious and troubled, and the good intentions of her heart are beginning to sour. Jesus notices these things. And so in order to turn her distracted heart into a devoted heart, Jesus focuses her attention on the one thing necessary. Now, he doesn't explicitly name the one thing necessary, but it's clear based on the context. He points to Mary. It's what Mary has chosen the one thing necessary in this case is not to serve Jesus an elaborate meal, but to be served by him a spiritual meal. The one thing necessary is to feast on the words of Christ. When Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good portion, that word for portion is often used in the Bible in association with a meal. So it's kind of like Jesus is saying, Mary has chosen the good meal. 
the better meal. Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, you're putting a lot of effort into preparing a really big meal for me. And I know you think Mary is slacking. You think that she doesn't have her priorities straight. But she's actually feasting on a meal right now at my feet. She's chosen the good portion, the good meal, which will not be taken away from her. Now, by that, he means that the food that Martha is preparing in the kitchen is temporal. It, it, it will go away. Her meal is going to satisfy your hunger today, but you're still going to be hungry tomorrow. But the meal that Mary is enjoying, feasting on the Word of God, eating the bread of life, that is going to satisfy you forever. That meal will never spoil, it will never rot, it will never fade or be taken away. Now, the permanence of that better portion is all the more significant when you consider the circumstances, the context of this passage. Because remember, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem where he was going to soon be taken up. He was going to die. So with death impending, Jesus preferred Martha's undivided attention far more than he wanted her, her busied service. She was preparing this elaborate meal for Jesus, but considering the circumstances, it would have been better to prepare a simple meal and spend more of that time alongside her sister at Jesus' feet in his presence. Time is running short. He's on his way to the cross. That creates urgency in this narrative. Now, the story ends in verse 42, seemingly without a conclusion. But the great thing is that we have more than just one gospel account. We have four of them. And, and the same family shows up again, as we mentioned earlier, in John chapter 11. There, Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus had already been dead for four days by the time that Jesus arrives again in Bethany. Martha was likely, once again, busy showing hospitality to all of the many guests that were told who came from Jerusalem to console them in their grief. But friends, Martha has changed since her last encounter with Christ. Her priorities were now different because this time around, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she immediately, immediately left her kitchen. She left all of her guests in her home, and she was the first to go out and meet with Jesus, even before Mary. Because now her one thing necessary, her top priority was to be with Jesus. Her distracted heart had truly been transformed into a devoted heart for Christ. Well, friends, as we consider how to apply this story of Martha and Mary, I just want to be clear. I, I, I want you to be clear on this, that it is not about changing personalities, but more about changing priorities. I hope that gets through to you. It's not about changing personalities. I, I, I wouldn't want you going away thinking that Mary is the better sister. Mary's the better Christian. Jesus loved Mary more. No, no. Jesus loved Mary and Martha, and he loved what both of them uniquely brought to the table. Martha is not being told to be just like your sister Mary, 
to serve just like her. No, she doesn't have to imitate Mary's personality, just Mary's priorities. That's the point. Martha is always going to be Martha. She's always going to probably be more type A. She's always going to be wired to serve, wired to, to work hard and to get things done. And that's good. The church needs more Martha Christians. Jesus loves Martha Christians. But Martha Christians need to be reminded that when life gets crazy and when you are trying to juggle so many responsibilities and when you're anxious and troubled by many things, Remember the one thing necessary. It's not serving God, but enjoying God. That's what's necessary. That's the priority. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That means if you neglect your spiritual meal, you neglect the Word of God because you're so busy and distracted trying to serve a literal meal, then you won't have the spiritual vitality to sustain your service. Your heart is going to sour and your strength will fail. That's what we see happening in this text. The reality is is that you need Jesus far, far more than he needs you. We, we think Jesus needs us to serve him. He needs us to serve his church. We think that our service is indispensable. That, that's why Martha Christians are usually very hesitant to take breaks in their ministry out of fear that the church or the ministry is just going to fall apart if I'm not there, if I'm not serving. That's, that's us overestimating the importance of our service. We fool ourselves into thinking that we are irreplaceable, or that what we do is indispensable. But there's only one thing necessary, and it's not anything that we do for God. It's what he does for us. He sent his son to minister to our needs. He came as the suffering servant. Jesus is not, he is not a harsh taskmaster who places heavy burdens on us, making us serve him. No, friends, he is a gracious redeemer who took up our burdens upon himself and he went to the cross. He didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Jesus. The reality is that we need Jesus's ministry. We need what he came to do far more than he needs our ministry. We need, we need his perfect life. We need his sin-atoning death. We need his death-defeating resurrection. We need his daily intercession, and we need Christ to return once again and to make all things new. We need to be served by Jesus vastly more than he needs us to serve him. I, I realize I realize some of you listening are still seeking the faith. And so obviously, you're not really distracted with much Christian service since you're not a Christian yet. But the story of Martha and Mary, I believe, is still very applicable to you. Because if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to be made new, if you want to become a Christian, you want to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple, you need to realize 
You don't have to be anxious or troubled about doing many things to earn that salvation or to prove yourself to be worthy as a disciple. The one and only thing necessary is to sit under the good news of the gospel and to receive God's promises by faith. That's what I hope you hear, and that is the one thing necessary. And I hope you embrace that. I pray that you receive that. Now, for those of you Christians out there who are right now feeling convicted, feeling like you, you really do need to reprioritize that one thing necessary, well, I hope to encourage you, because I know you lead busy lives. And I know a lot of that busyness is inevitable. It is out of your control. I know being a student in that very competitive school of yours is busy. It's just going to be busy. Being employed in your line of work is just going to be busy. Being a parent of little children in the home is busy. Life is busy. You want to spend more time with Jesus. You want to sit more at his feet and to listen to his words, but you have no idea how you're going to make room in your busy life. Which responsibilities are you going to simply ignore? Which duties are you going to set aside or abandon? That's the tension you're feeling. But you see, in Martha's case, she was physically unable to listen to Jesus' teaching in the living room while at the same time continually serving in the kitchen. So that's why she was encouraged to choose the better meal like her sister. There were physical limitations there. But friends, do you see, we don't have those same physical limitations as Martha. We don't have to drop everything we're doing in order to be in the presence of Christ. We, we don't have to escape the busyness of life if we want to give attention to his words. Because Christ, now that he has ascended to the Father, has sent in his stead the Holy Spirit. He has given the Holy Spirit to all believers. The Spirit dwells in us, so that means we carry the presence of Christ with us wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And the teachings of Christ, well, his teachings, his words, have been infallibly recorded for us in a book, in Holy Scripture, making his words far more accessible and mobile. Nowadays, you can even listen to his words on your phone while you are busy commuting to work or busy doing chores in the kitchen. You don't have to make the same choice that Martha had to make. You don't have the same limitations as her. There is a way to carry out all of your daily chores, all of your daily tasks, while giving Jesus that necessary attention. That, my friends, is called practicing the presence of God, being mindful of God's presence wherever you are and in whatever you're doing because you have the Spirit of God and the Word of God available to you. Even in the busyness of life, friends, you can still choose the good portion. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that that is a great glory, a great benefit of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us, that he has made a way through the giving of his spirit, 